0: Hello and welcome to the Drew and Luke podcast, sponsored by our friends at Nerdgeist.com and Patreon.com forward slash Andy Luke, channeled through Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher and many more. I'm Andy the Drew Luke, a working writer on comics and comics fiction, TV and poetry and today I'm joined by the look of the author laying down the lather the nation's favorite emperor president captain doctor mr sir in lather in as the vice chief of the uk and irish region track fan club starfleet and a regular fixture on star star trek podcasts and community outreach things hello ian
1: Hi andy thanks for having me
0: welcome welcome how are you doing today uh, what have you got going on in your workload
1: oh man i'm I'm i excited. I've been wanting to do this Shield podcast for a long time, because you're the only person I know actually watched the thing. I thought I was the the only person in our sort of group, you know. So it's great to get to come on and be able to talk to something that's not Star Trek all the time, you know.
0: It's it's just a wonderful series, so filled with complexities and um, like the the writer's room is simply spitting plates at all time and there's there's wonderful up. yeah um a lot of it's quite on the nose there's a lot of nuances as well um and well, i think we'll, we'll just go ahead and get into it um so we'll give a uh, given an overview um by the way, this podcast contains spoilers for seasons one to three of FX's *The Shield*. So if you haven't done those, go away now. Uh, and of course, discussion of graphic violence and lots of really ugly, ugly things. So *The Shield*, an American crime drama series uh, starring Michael Chiklis, that premiered on March twelfth, two thousand and two, on FX. The Shield follows the activities of an experimental division of the Los Angeles Police Department set up in the fictional Farmington district, The Farm. A district rife with gang-related violence, drug trafficking and prostitution. Operating out of a converted church, The Barn, some Farmington police work to maintain the peace in the district and reduce crime. Others resemble the type of corrupt officer known only too well through police scandals such as Crash, Rampart and the killings of music artist George Floyd and medical worker Breonna Taylor. So, um, season one, uh, episode one, we're introduced to The Barn and Captain David Aceveda, a Hispanic captain with designs on a political career. Claudette Wims, a feisty but thoughtful black veteran detective. Dutch wagonback Claudette's partner, who's overabundant in psychological training, ambition and a need to prove himself. Officer Danielle Danny Sopher, hard-edged, professionally competent, southern lass, politically a bit dim and she works as a training officer to rookie Julian Lowe, a naive black Christian man and Farnington native who struggles with his sexuality. The barn is unique in containing an anti drug enforcement unit, the Strike Team, who operate behind closed doors and beyond lines of morality. An all boys club, quiet Ronnie Gardocki, newcomer Terry Crowley, optimist Kurt Lem Lemansky, wildly unpredictable racist Shane Vendrell, and their leader Vic Mackey, corrupt yet effective and both hero and villain of the show. You know,
1: you've. in, 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 those, in that paragraph, there's so much to talk about, so many characters uh, that centres around this strike team. Um, Dick Mackey, as you say, is the hero and the villain. Normally, TV shows give you, a, you know, a definite yes. This is the villain. This is the hero, and it's, you know, it's very straight laced. In this show, by the end of the first episode. You just you don't know, you don't know who the good guys are. You don't know who the bad guys are, and what that does is just make you want to keep watching. So I, I don't know where you want to start, Andy.
0: Uh, yeah, I think. Uh, with the
1: strike team, or
0: yeah, uh, so so Michael Shiklis, um is a sort of the the, the face of the series. He's a, the iconographic um, judge, dread sort of. Take no shit. Um, beat the crap out of the the crooks, sort of character, and his um, his his team. The attitude of them and the chemistry between uh, the five members is is set up quite well in this first episode. Vic is positioned as the alpha of Farmington PD, um, and uh, of course you get you get Dutch. Wagenbach, who's the, the beta and so it's and it's a show of two halves in some ways um, the whole a series of two halves and you do have the strike team and then you have the greater ensemble of of those other cops around them.
1: I think, it's, I think it's safe to say that Dutch is a character who's who's very good at his job but it's kind of the laughing stock of the strike team and some of the other officers, you know, you could almost say it gets bullied quite a bit. Yeah. You know, because Dutch want, likes to use his brain to solve things, and Thick and the strike team, they just want to get into the action, crack a few heads, do things that way. You know, straight away, you know, you're used to this dynamic of Thick likes to make fun of Dutch every chance he gets. You know, there's always things we slide comments when, when he's passing Dutch, and he certainly likes making fun of Dutch quite a bit, which I think you know, as as the series went on, you know, frustrates Dutch more and more that you know he wants to start solving the big cases so that you know he can hold his hat up and say, you know what, I'm just I'm just as cool as you, or just as badass.
0: Yeah, the the B plot in in this episode is with with Dutch, and. Um, the wonderful C.C.H. Pounder playing his partner Claudette and they're, my memory's hazy, but they're tracking some kind of rapist or or serial murderer Um, and it's a very, like any storylines where Dutch is involved, it's quite a psychologically um, intense or navigated direction. And, and the chemistry between CCH Pounder and Jay Kearns is just wonderful. This, uh-huh. this veteran cop who's sort of, she's seen it all, really. Um, uh-huh. And she's worldly wise and she knows when not to stick her nose into the politics of, of other officers. And, and Dutch, who, like you say, is the, he's a nerd, he's the, um, the, the he's, he's comedy for laughing at. Um but he's yeah, he's he's kind of a genius.
1: He is and you know, he, he brings all these new ideas to to the uh to the department. You know, he's the thinking man's cop, you know. You know, he wouldn't you, you wouldn't want them to have to back you up in a in a street fight. But if you need something solved, he's probably the man to look through all the evidence and see things that people have missed. Whereas again, The Strike Team is, you know, right, shows the bad guy, we'll go and get him, we'll sort of out, you know, end off. Uh, so Dutch is probably one of my favorite characters.
0: Yeah, mine too. Yeah, he is um, just a big ball of complexities. Um,
1: but he, we, yeah. he really is, as the show goes on, you know, that complexity just grows and grows.
0: Yeah. Uh, we have to talk, I think, about Catherine Dent who is, I just have a crush on, uh, playing um, officer Daniel, Danny Sofer, who is a, a, a fairly sort of regular beat cop who can who can handle herself. I mean, she knows the streets. She knows protocol um, in, in regards to dealing people and you know, how to approach a situation. And she has under her wing Michael Jace. Um, the, the character's name is Julian Lowe um who is green. He's as green as he can he can be, really. Um yeah. and Danny has to mentor him and uh and stop some of the the, the silly risks he's taking. Although his yeah. he has a good heart or he believes he has a good oh, heart will come on yeah. to that.
1: Great heart but he is very naive. You know, uh Danny is uh a, a woman cop and very much a male orientated barn so you know she she's as tough as she's had to become as tough as they they are you know um so it's 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 a great dynamic you've got this danny is quite a veteran of being out in the streets julian is so new and he's got these ideas of i'm really gonna go out there and make a difference in people's lives and then he goes out there and making a difference is very hard in that world yeah you know and he does take some, some crazy risks in the first season.
0: Yeah, because he's he's very much an officer that has designs on on making it at community level about having the you know the police deserve uh, to, to be trusted in. But he doesn't really know how to get from A to B, and he no. thinks he knows at, at many different stages. Um, only to have himself be set right, or he'll he'll back up on something he's done, or. Um, and in the middle of all these competing forces, we have the the captain, David Aceveda, who is quite Weasley, I think, if that's not too unfair. Um, yeah, he's,
1: he's the he's the politician. Yeah, captain, you know, he he really is. Everything he does is to elevate his own position to get up the, to the next step of the ladder. Mm. So he comes across, you know. Again, like in the Shield, nothing's black and white. and a lot of things he does, he's right. But there's that underlining, you're doing these just to advance your career. Do you really care about what's going on? Are you just doing whatever it takes to advance your career? And I think that's where the the problem with the strike team comes into play for him. He wants to get up the ladder. And here you've got a, a strike team led by think who quite frankly gets complaints put in about them every other week <laughs> yeah. It's not every week so that doesn't look good on his resume um, so you know that creates the tension initially I think
0: yeah before we get into the strike team in more depth I want to have a few notes here so initially the series was going to be called Rampart and this comes from um, Rampart was um, the name of an LA strike team very much like the strike team we see here it was part of um crash which was a american police anti-gang initiative and this kind of all exploded in a, a scandal about 97 98 with an officer named Rafael perez who was caught with coke and money laundering and a lot of the shit that we see back in the strike team pull perez was turned and he listed corruption across rampart in america um, and there was, there was a scandal, there was a big inquiry, but that was kind of hushed up and it was confined to just L.A. And some say that good cops went down and that Perez exaggerated, thus making a mug of the institution, settling scores against other officers who he didn't like and he was, he was getting away with it. Others say that you know the investigation was never properly looked into um, it was all hushed up because Perez named I think he named something like a hundred officers um, in his, his charges and I think it's, it's certainly whether Perez was taking the piss or not it's certainly safe to follow the line that there hasn't been transparency, there hasn't been things looked into in, in policing in America with, um, many of these corruptions still happen as we've been sadly learning. It's
1: actually, uh, it, it, it's scary to think, you know, after watching The Shield, that The Shield, you, you know, could be based on, on, like, partially, like, a a reality of a, a real situation. It's actually quite scary to think that that sort of stuff goes on. But, you know, as we're reminded pretty much every day in the news now, you know, America and the police force, you know, making... Controversial decision, should we say. Uh, yeah. It's actually quite scary to think that, yeah, it could, there could be truth into those mm. allegations.
0: The barn itself is a very big character, the, the police station in Farmington. And um, for, for those who are familiar with uh, the ideas of uh, Michelle Foucault, um, it's kind of played out like a panopticon. So a panopticon is a prison that's architecturally structured from maximum observation so you get right in the centre of the barn we have the, uh, the cages where the, where the prisoners are held and then um, we have like a, an arc like structure where the, the desks of the officers are placed around that, and then we have the, the balcony um, because it's built on an old um, a remodelled old church And up in the balcony is interrogation rooms, um, which are connected by a camera to a viewing room. And then you have uh, the captain's office, and he can, anybody up top can go and look out and they can see what the officers and the desks are doing and the prisoners in the cages. And there's one anomaly in the panopticon, and that's a closed door that says says something like, Nobody come in here, the strike team. And it's a strike, and there's no. Transparency in the strike team because they are kind of a law unto themselves,
1: that, and that and that sets that sets the mood. You see that door; everything else is visible to somebody, except for this door where the strike team meets and operates from, and nobody has a clue what's going on, you know, behind that door. So that that sets the tone of the series, you know.
0: I know we said we'd keep it rolling and get on to the, the next point, but I just wanted to bring up quickly a bit about the people who are involved with Season 1 and the Shield and the creative direction. So the, the showrunner uh, is Sean Ryan, who before that was known as a producer on Season 2 of Angel, which was a pretty dark season. And Sean wrote a handful of episodes there, including the fan-favorite Zombie Cop episode, which I think is called something like the The Dead Blue Line which is very unsettling. Cops come back to life and and, uh, engineer all manner of brutalities. You've got um, on the writing staff another angel crossover is a duo of Elizabeth Craft and Sarah Fane, I think. Um, You've got Glenn Mazaraza of The Walking Dead, um, Kurt Sutter of Sons of Anarchy, and that's that. You can definitely see the link there. And episodes one, three, and five of the Shield are directed by wonderfully directed by Clark Johnson, who at the same time was directing episodes one, two, and five of the Wire, and uh, the two shows ran concurrently. And actually, Clark Johnson. Um, little spoiler for you, Ian, because you've not seen the, the final season, but he, Clark Johnson, directs both the first and episode, last episode of The Shield and The Wire. So, nice sort of chemistry.
1: Absolutely.
0: Captain Aceveda tries to crack corruption in the barn by recruiting Terry within the strike team to help him take down Vic. Word reaches Vic through his source, Chief Assistant Ben Gilroy. At the end of episode one, during a raid on a drug dealer, Vic and Shane murder Terry in cold blood. Well,
1: this is what got me hooked on this series. Because, you know, TV shows tend to, you know, build up slowly. This one just exploded at the end of the first episode. Yeah. And, it, you know, it puts into question, right, who are you supposed to cheer for? Here, who are the good guys in this? And, I, I, just. The, the pardon the pun. It blew my mind.
0: Yeah, it's a really, um, it's a really difficult scene. Um, it leaves an impression. It's, uh, i say, it's an iconic moment of television. Really,
1: it is. Uh, you know, so from you know, and from that point on, I was saying right. So Vic Mackey and his team, they're the bad guys. But again, as the show goes on
0: yeah what
1: well, you find is there's a lot of bad
0: guys <laughs> so a bit of a bit of a sort of bit more clarification i mean terry has been um he, he is a cop um he's just been their driver up until this point point. and what we see terry getting close to from vic's perspective is that vic is operating as the land, the landlord a drug dealer um, in Farmington, who offers special privileges to the dealers who work with them, like you know, maybe getting the tip off when there's a, a bigger ass scoop on the way, um, inside intel, and of course he and the strike team get their cut, and occasionally bags of cocaine go missing from lockers, and the shooting of Terry. I mean, it's it's a, such a bleak taboo in in um, cop sociology. That you, you know, the killing of a cop is the worst thing ever, and, and everybody that. on the street knows this. And Vic just almost the way Clark directs the episode, it's almost very casual. We get the zoom in after it's happened, um, but but Michael Chickless just uh just turns and, and plants you know a bullet straight in Terry's head.
1: It, it's chilling. The way
0: it played out, and
1: the way the actor plays it—just the emotionless look on his face. Because even who was the other strike member in?
0: That was Shane, crazy Shane.
1: Shane, crazy Shane. I mean, even the look on Shane's face—you know—was like, what? You know, was holy shit? You know?
0: Yeah, Aceveda has his suspicions about what went down. Shane knows Ben Gilroy fed him the information. Ben Gilroy suspects um, and I think later Vic pretty much just admits to him but this is such an exciting incident for the whole series for, you know, for every episode that comes after and I mean we're jumping a bit ahead here, do you think that um, do you think that incident was played out too much because it's quite It is does feel like it deserves closure a lot more quickly, maybe at the end of series one or
1: I mean, obviously, it was still the first episode, but my opinion on the series changed. You know, for me, after seeing that, the show was about how long can the strike team go on without getting caught? Yeah. That's what the show became to me. You know, it wasn't, it, it was now, you know, right, how long can they get away with us? And as again, as the show goes on, it's like, it's almost as if they keep digging a bigger grave for themselves. To me it was how they're going to get out. How, how are they going to get out of
0: getting caught this week? Or you know. Yeah, and I mentioned earlier that um, the writers' room is always spinning plates, and this is very much central to Vic Mackey's character—that he's always juggling six things at once. He's trying to make everything align. Uh, frequently, shortcuts get he's like burned out on. Yeah. Oh, that's a great. Ten number moves
1: ahead. Taking yeah. ten moves ahead. And then, of course, you know, then you find out he's got a family life. And you're just like, you know, how could this man possibly have a family and love his kids? Complex character.
0: Yeah, uh, Corinne, played by Kathy Kalen Ryan, Sean Ryan's wife. Um, And he has three children, um, one of whom has been diagnosed as autism, autistic, within the second episode. And yeah, Vic is. Uh, I think the chess playing analogy is incredible. And it, it, it gives you that sense. You know when, like in Breaking Bad, where the scrapyard scene is is the the epitome of that ball crunching, how do they get out of this? I think The Wire is superb at doing that. And yeah. Vic is almost metatextual in his, his thinking in doing so. And of so. course,
1: his uh, son being diagnosed with autism is, is almost a, a, a big point because... What well, Vic realises very quickly is he needs more money.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, there's no bigoted question of judgement about, you know, a son being a freak. Yeah. That doesn't happen. That He goes straight okay. to, I'm going to support my kid, I'm going to support my wife, I'm going to support the family. Face, you know. Yeah.
1: Within within a couple of episodes, oh, you go from hearing Vic Mackey to thinking, oh he's not that bad he's a
0: stand up yeah you you don't know
1: what the fact happened
0: It's an incredibly um, complex character Okay, Dutch looks for a serial killer but instead finds a serial rapist with a refrigerator full of sperm eventually his theories turn over a killer preying on prostitutes and he convinces Acevedo to mobilize a barn in an all out effort to find a man before he strikes again Despite his failure, Dutch won't let let it go. He meets his match as a psychologist with Sean, an egotistical garage mechanic. But Dutch turns the tables, exposing Sean as the killer he's been searching for.
1: I thought this was gonna, this story that I'd, you know, was gonna break Dutch. Cause there there was times where he was getting nowhere, and he knew that the mechanic was probably responsible, but he just couldn't put the pieces together, and you could and the way the actor plays it, you can almost see the steam coming out of his head as if it's making him you know, and and that's the beauty of Dutch, you know, when Dutch goes in on a case, he goes all in he eats the case he's he's sleeping with the case you know, that's all he it it consumes him, that's all he has and in this storyline you realise how brilliant he is but how vulnerable he is if he can't you know, if he can't get the case over the finish line, it near enough destroys him.
0: Well, I think, I think isn't this one of the arc stories of season one? Yeah. Mm. So we've already seen a number of episodes of him trying to track down this character, trying to work out the psychology of him, who he is, where he'll be, and he's, he's hammering his head against the wall. It's a random tip-off that leads him to him. He gets him in the interrogation room, and then we get another five scenes of maybe 10, 12 minutes where Dutch is again banging his head against a wall and it's another random little thing that tips him off. Because this guy is every bit as smart as Dutch. Do you remember the scene where, um, fairly late on in their Battle of Wills, where Dutch walks into the interrogation room and Sean has been working the whiteboard?
1: Yeah, again, if I remember that scene right, again, that was to play... I think that was to play into Dutch's head's parano- Paranoia you know and um, again how those two actors play that scene it's just you can watch those two
0: Yes Sean has watch just filled the, a, the whiteboard in the interrogation room with
1: yeah.
0: a list of all the psychological traits of Dutch you know he has difficulties getting on with his co-workers, feels he's unattractive to women uh, lives alone yeah. Every sort of damning bit of psychological profile. Every
1: time Dutch tries to get into his head, Sean deflects it back at him a hundred times more. It, it's like it's like watching a again. It's almost like a chess match or yeah. a boxing match of the minds. You know, back and forward, back and forward. Who's who's gonna crack first? And for a lot of time, you think it's gonna be Dutch. Until, as you say, that last second where he he comes across something that fits and he finally gets his man. But again, just watching that, you would almost forget about what's going on with Vic and the strike team. Yeah. That could be a main story in itself.
0: Yeah. Claudette is a wonderfully stabilising influence on Dutch. She's always a very stoic figure. Um, Always honoured him to get his game together when his heads in uh, out, or, and she I've has talking
1: to someone about that, do you, do you think she's almost like a mother thing In
0: a, I, uh, you know, I, a I, 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 yeah, there's elements of it, but, but not completely, I've, there's a lot of lovely little moments where Dutch flirts with Claudette, and it's okay. like, you know, they both know it's, it's not serious, it's not ever going to lead to anything, but it's like Dutch just wants to let her know that she's still special she's still important yeah. she's still got it and and Claudette she's the only, she's gets the only it.
1: one that really has Dutch's back in that, in the whole barn really
0: yeah yeah and and she has I mean not completely but she does have a, a f- great confidence and faith in Dutch's abilities there's many scenes where they're watching the interrogation from the camera and Claudette's like no just wait he's gonna do it at any minute yeah uh, Vic gets a call from a CI, a junkie prostitute named Connie. Her mother has died and she has no one to take care of her baby. The strike team step in to look after Connie as she de- detoxifies. Connie's quite a, a great character. She's she's wonderfully played.
1: Yeah, I, I, I did this. I did kind of totally blew my mind as well. Because here's this badass strike team that always they seem to care about results. But yet, when a CI has a problem, they all step up. Now, obviously, it's led by Fick, and maybe the fact that he has kids maybe softens him to her situation.
0: Yeah, you're right.
1: But I've never seen that. I've never seen like somebody take care of their CI like, like Fick does, and generally seem to want to take care of her.
0: Yeah, Kern, the, the rap artist, um... Vic's, Vic's constantly looking out for him. Uh, and there's a few others. Um, the actress who plays Connie is Jamie Allman. And and she's kind of she's kinda of like that character in uh in Breaking Bad, who's um one of Jesse's uh drug dealers. She, she's a hooker, she's she's constantly addicted, uh she's desperate. But we, and we don't ever fully get what is the history between her and Vic. But it's you know it's he's definitely not out for his usual sort of Don Draper screw. He's yeah. he's very um he's devoted very to
1: offer in yeah. a lot of ways. And again, I don't know if that's just because, you know, he's a fowler and uh, wants to protect her for the baby's
0: sake. It it also demonstrates it, uh, strike team's loyalty. Um yeah. because Lem is in there sitting with her, Ronnie's sitting with her. Because Vic says so.
1: Yeah, exactly, and it's, you know, again, it, the, the whole that whole narrative is designed, again, to make you think twice about the strike team just being bad guys, you yeah. know, which is, which is what I love about the series. Every time you think you've made up your mind like this, this person's a bad guy, this person's a good guy, it does things that just make you rethink that situation. Sorry Not many again. shows do.
0: I think we need to talk about Walton Goggins briefly, um, who who this is, I think is his first major role as Shane Vendrell, And Shane is a fire starter. Uh, if anybody <laughs> is awesome. going to question Vic's line, it's going to be his best friend Shane.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, uh, trouble. Shane
1: is, <laughs> out of all distracting to me, Shane is dangerous. Yeah. Vic can control him. But there's times when you think, he he, he does. He's not like Fink. that he doesn't think Ken moves ahead. He's very, he's he's very quick to make a decision without Fink to get through. Yeah, and then Fink has to bail him out. But yes, just there's just a real, quite frankly, a real scumbag element to him.
0: Yeah, his attitude to that Connie situation would be, well, screw that bitch. Yeah, um, exactly.
1: In fact, he probably said that. Hmm. <laughs> you know. Uh,
0: and, and yeah. Vic's very good. He's very good at keeping him under control, at explaining to him why things have to be done a certain way. But the problem is that Vic has to constantly be doing that because Shane is a wild card. And Goggins plays him superbly. He's that oh, cowboy yes. with a black leather jacket, um, uh, the spiky hair, and the, the sort of skeletal. Um, Bone structure. Think it just gets
1: up in the morning just to get someone a beating, you
0: know? Yeah. And he likes to
1: get in on the physical stuff. And...
0: It's kind of Shane's, Shane's law, really. Um, Shane just does as he he that pleases, pretty much. It, yeah, most likely. <laughs> most likely. Um, right after we get Dutch's own series. Absolutely. Um, okay, um, so to round out season one, Vic and Corinne's son Matthew is diagnosed with autism. Matthew's special schooling is expensive and paid for by Vic's illegal deals. Meanwhile Vic's backer, Chief Assistant Gilroy, uses a Farmington force as part of a property fraud. Gilroy becomes increasingly desperate for Vic to keep his secret, initially blackmailing him over Terry's death and then threatening his family. As the scandal leaks out, the barn becomes a target of a full-blown and fire riot.
1: We see the, the first mistake Gilroy makes is threatening Thick's family.
0: Yeah. No because if there's any time that Thick sometimes doesn't think things through and gets a, and, and and loses it is is if you go near his family. No Passerana. So, yeah, you knew Thick was gonna destroy him whatever
1: way he could.
0: We but were talking a minute ago how Gilroy is very much a quite a, a central inciting figure through season one. He's the guy who gets Vic on a strike team. In fact most of the people in the barn are are Gilroy's people. He is he has positioned him there. He's the one that gives Vic the extra bit of leash when Aceveda's trying to nail him.
1: Yeah.
0: He's the one who passes on the word about Terry. And then we, we find out Gilroy is—he has been moving uh, policing operations around certain districts in Farmington away from others where he owns property and the property value, the property he has bought for cheap in those areas where crime has moved away from. Now the property value soars and he's making a—he's yeah. making a killing. And Vic is prepared to cover it up, up until the point where. Gilroy needs.
1: Blackmails him. Yeah. yeah. So it's certainly a, a gamble, and also you know that has big um, rep- repercussions in the season two, because Gilroy, in a way, is Strike Force's shield. Hmm. Protects him to a certain degree. Without that, things things would get a lot more hurry for the Strike Force. And it, then, uh, and then, when you think about the when you say the barn becomes the full blown. You know,
0: blood and fire riot. Yeah, it's under blood. siege for oh, like two days. It's under
1: siege. The shit hits the van
0: in a big way. Um, it uh, really is a phenomenal season finale, because you do is. have you have the Vic story on one, the Vic Gilroy story on one thing, and that all that Crowley stuff and the landlord drug dealer, all that might come out. But then you know you have the whole station is under fire and. Um, isn't this where we get the cops the 911 calls story
1: yes
0: With a, so as as ni- uh, cops because because there's been some sort of there was a 911 call made and it took 45 minutes for the police to come out after which time people have been left dead the families of the deceased one of them starts phoning up cops to attend scenes and then the cops are shot dead and there's something like something yeah. like four cops killed and yeah. it's, it's, it's four
1: a, cops it's yeah sort of a, it's a revenge plot isn't it yeah the the police couldn't get to respond to the 911 calls because of the riots and what have you this this person feels hard done by and yeah calls cops into situations and then just starts shooting
0: you can really feel uh, the tension I think it's such a great way to, to end season one to, uh, it's all no, there's no cliffhanger. It's all wrapped up. Um, mm. uh, although the consequences will of of the Gilroy scandal will be felt, uh, and this if anything it makes the strike team more aggressive. Although Vic is kind of has a, the wind knocked at him because basically places his family under protective custody while Gilroy's walking about, and eventually when it settles down, his family leaves him. He is paid to cost for doing what he does.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, his wife takes a feel of, you know, we've got kids that are artistic. You're always on the job. You know, your job's dangerous, which means we could be in danger. So she gets out of there, you know, and probably rightly so. But again, it does destabilize Vic for the first time. You know, you start to see him having a few doubts in his head. About why he does the things he does, but that doesn't last particularly long. He gets gets the strike team back on track and moves them forward. <laughs> so that brings us to season two. Witnessing the strike team steal drugs from a bust, Officer Julian though reports them to internal affairs, and the other recounts. He he's also struggling with his sinful urges, embarking on a course of sexual reorientation. He quickly he quickly marries a woman from from his church. When his former partner Thomas outs him to the barn, Julian is subjected to a beating, which seriously injures him. Yeah, this really you know from a character who in season one was just really the rookie and. Was getting put through his paces. Now, he's front and center, um, reporting the strike team to internal affairs. He really is new, because that's not a good idea. Yeah,
0: he's but, given warrants by Aceveda that who totally wants to nail Vic. You don't do that, man.
1: Yeah, yeah. You're cro-
0: yep. you're in crosshairs.
1: Yeah, yep. And then and then when you think he's got enough on his plate, then you know you realise very quickly that, you know, the character's gay, but he's a a Christian, so he's really having a hard time with it, and goes through these, the sexual uh, reorientation programme that a lot of churches claim to do, or, or, you know, and he then, and, and that's why I was laughing just at the words, he then quickly marries a woman from church
0: yeah it's quite it's it's within uh within like six episodes of taking yeah. up uh the therapy um there's,
1: it's uh it's quite scary to think that you, you know you feel that you need to go through all that you know
0: i don't like julian um i i think he's a he's a well-written character with a lot of complexities and such but i think he's a fearful fool he lets his Christian narrative lead him, except when it suits him. And as I said earlier, he's, he is so green. He's so green. Oh. I, I I thought it was interesting Aceveda sort of warning him. You know, you don't want to do this. And and essentially, what he is, he has seen Vic and Shane steal cocaine. <laughs> um, and this is what Aceveda has been looking for all along. Julian wants to set it right. And it should be so easy. Um, yeah, this sort of that's confused me a wee
1: bit why he was warning him off. Because his, his whole his whole story is he wants Vic caught in the act, he wants Vic out of You
0: know,
1: he's too much of a headache. I but f- yet, when Julian comes up to say, Look, I want to report it to Eternal Affairs, he's actually like, I thought he would jump for joy. But
0: he does it, Yeah. it's like, oh. Th- so is pretty much going through a process of realising that he's got to play things differently. Um, he's pretty sure Vic killed Terry and Vic has given him a number of headaches since then. But I think this is a, one of those few moments where we see Aceveda acting as a responsible boss you know, he, the the political thing he's like he's like a, a union leader and mm. you know he, he knows that uh, Julian has to be a hundred percent sure that he saw this and that he's gonna go through with it because um it's gonna bring hell down on Julian. Mm. With the sexual reorientation therapy, now it's really surprised me that the shield went there, maybe more so because uh, it, you know, it's in hindsight that um, in the, since this was shown twenty years ago, sexual reorientation therapy has come under such fire for trying to de- to to program um, youngsters, young men mm. and women, and tell them exactly how to think. It has drawn so much ire, but it you know it's it. Presents a really interesting um, point for argument. Okay, so yeah, you can say all you like about how institutionally immoral and unethical behavior or therapy on something like this is to for a consenting adult, but if that consenting adult wants that therapy, if they are not if they are so uncomfortable in their sexuality that they want to change it then why shouldn't they have the freedom to engage with that particularly if it's a part of a bigger social structure like the church which they are quite involved in
1: yeah and again you know from from the point of view of the shield and julian you know why wouldn't he want to change it because to him, it's it's got nothing but downsides. I mean, you, even if you pick the Christianity thing to one side, once his colleagues find out the way he's treated, he's given beatings and this, that, and the other. So that would buck you up at the head to go. Mm. You know what? I can't be this. I need to change. Yeah. The problem. The problem is, you know, as a lot of studies have showed, it don't. It really doesn't work. You know, some studies have suggested mm-hmm. that that it's done for fear. You know, yeah, you're a sinner, blah blah blah. You know, you you want, to, you know, I'm, I'm I'm simplifying it, but you know, if if you want to be within God's love and go to heaven, you know, you have to change your ways and repent. I I, I watched it. You know, we're getting slightly off topic. Uh, Let's go. The actor that played the Blue Power Ranger, he was a a Christian, very, you know, brought up in a very church Christian-orientated, and he went on this rehabilitation. It, his life was miserable. I mean, it really was. Uh, it nearly destroyed him, you know. As he said, he, he lived for a while thinking it did, mm. but he was ki- kidding himself, you know. Now, like, luckily, things turned around for him, and he's accepted who he is. But that doesn't happen
0: for everybody else, you know? I think the problem for a lot of people where sexual orientation is very difficult is that they don't have the social context. So in, in the case of Julian, his, his lover in the first season, Tomas, is a petty crook and con man. And that's a pretty bad choice for a police officer to take as a a partner. Uh, is- Tomas is a bit of a... He's a massive prick. Um, he, he's ethically dubious but you know there's nobody at Julian's church who's going to show a no man in Julian's church who's going to show a romantic interest no.
1: and again it's also it's how people react to him being gay which is the strategy that, you know, he gets a beating you know, is there any wonder he's mocked up in the head because he's been growing up to think that uh, being gay is wrong and then, you know, when you've got the likes of Danny trying to say, "Look, you are who you are," sort of thing, you know, as soon as he tries to embrace it, it's like, "No, nope, I get a beat from cops."
0: From cops, yeah.
1: So, Danny accidentally kills an Arab man, who appears to point a gun at her, and the repercussions continue to haunt her. The man's widow embarks on a campaign of harassment, which not only robs. Her offer promotion, but sees her investigated by internal affairs. So at least her effective have something to talk about if over by the water machine, you know.
0: So um, this is season two season of production was, uh, um, what well, it was going on with the attacks on the World Trade Center. So mm. anti-Muslim was the thing. It was mm. it was fever pitch. And this is is a really sort of stark scene that uh, Danny and Julian are called out to these complaining neighbours a couple of times. And and the the Muslim man is, while he's not the initial instigator, he is quite loud, he's quite vocal. And he comes out, I can't remember if he's got a gun or it looks like a gun, but it's night time and Danny is refusing her orders and she accidentally shoots him. And then gets drugs planted on her in her car, um, f- phone calls just, you know, home, and just
1: downhill. You know, it yeah. goes from bad to worse for her. And you know, she was as we were saying, she was going to get a promotion at one point. Does she get demoted? Doesn't she get?
0: Something? Yeah, it get it gets worse. She gets um, uh, made redundant, and luckily, just get, Chance would have it. There's a part-time vacancy. Danny is. What happens to Danny here? I think represents what an awful lot of cops have to go through that the media and the popular left don't really touch. That ugh, we need to, to police. Hmm. They have to
1: make split-second decisions.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and it's not. And they're not always going to get it right, unfortunately.
0: Yeah policing is a hard gig like you and i know this uh in northern ireland um where for 30 plus 40 years every cop in the country would look under the car in the morning would you know their relatives would listen on the news for fear they were coming home dead or with a missing limb their whole families were targeted like that's down to you know little kids being a cop in a trouble spot is bloody difficult and defund the police can fuck off because we need cops we need cops to protect us from those much scarier people who are who they they've put behind bars and a lot of the wires or a lot of the shield sorry is concerned with that about our relationship with the police
1: yeah but uh, what the shield does is they show it from Danny's point of view and how that basically destroys her life. But at the same time she was in the wrong, right? She did.
0: Yeah. And that you know, cost and, a family.
1: And that cost her badly. But I think uh, it was the the mental toll that takes on her because, you know, any decent decent person would not want that to happen, you know, would not want to shoot somebody. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mentioned earlier that Danny was politically dim, and I, I think I chose that because of what goes on in this story arc. That there are certain ways she can spin it. You know, Vic has done an awful lot worse, and he's made it work for him. And he's done that, you know, those killings on purpose. Um, Aceveda is is very quick. He's like Vic, thinking ahead to how he can turn something bad to his advantage. And Danny just doesn't, well, she's a very co- incredibly competent officer, but she doesn't have those wiles.
1: No, she doesn't. And to be honest, you know, and there, there's no one, and there's no one really racing to defend her, you know. You know, she doesn't have the connections, say, that has. And Vic, you know, Fick would make a very strong case about, yeah, you know, you're not out in the front lines. You know, you don't know what it's like out there. Whereas Danny sort of just so caught up on her head about oh my God what have I done that I don't think she she could try and play it even if she wanted to you know so yeah it's it's not going well for the team of Danny and Julian no no this season it really isn't um, so that is is it Armadillo
0: Quintero
1: Quintero who is a Mexican gang leader who's who's seeking to take control over farmington's drug trade he runs a file of Claudette and dutch when he rapes a child who witnessed one of his killings getting very dark yeah after Vic enacts some hard justice armadillo has the strike team greenlit targeted for termination after ronnie gardoki has his face burned on the stove armadillo blackmails Vic you'll have Ronnie present a statement or Armadillo will tell how he got his own facial burns.
0: Armadillo terrible. <laughs> Armadillo terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah. he's a oh. um, I think probably of this run he is the uh, the the prime boss um, the episode where he, he, he rapes like a six year old and leaves her with this tattoo of a a blue butterfly on her face um, yes. it's that was that was terrifying
1: yeah, yeah.
0: this is a yeah, mob that's... boss who sort of embodies the you know the worst that you know that that any of the the main characters have come up against he's a he's a general genuinely frightening figure and is played as, as such um, very sort of cold uh, almost a bit like Marlow in The Wire.
1: Yeah, he, he certainly, to me, it, it was like, okay, this is someone who who is worse than Fick Mackie, who might have the beatings off him. You know, because if you can do that to a little kid, then there's, no, there's nothing you will not do. Whereas Fick does have some morals. He's definitely the, the bad guy of the season. Yeah. And and you're under no you're under no doubt that you want to see this guy get his uh, commitments from Vic
0: Claudette is invested, Dutch with his psychological know-hows. Invested, Vic lives to hunt. People like this, but Quintero is no is no pushover. He so he yeah. has declared to the streets that he's trying to take over. The strike team are going down. You know bounties on their heads, yeah. kill them.
1: You know, so that means every time they go out on a job, you know, they have to watch their backs. I think this is maybe where the strike team, they start questioning Fick a little bit and how he's dealing yeah. how he's going to deal with it. You know, you, you can see that there's a few cracks starting to form under the pressure, which I thought was interesting. And then ov- obviously Ronnie getting his face burned on the stove. You know, that was the first time You'd seen a member of the team really get hurt?
0: In Vic's apartment, no less.
1: You know, so this is where it should be say, you know what? The strike team the strike team are vulnerable. Yeah. You can hurt them, you know, which we haven't really seen before.
0: Quintero is quite a um he's a a very cerebral operator. So he um basically when on the strike team do find him. and uh, I think he has some dirt on them. So Vic's Way is we're gonna kill this fucker and Quintero. He phones the barn and gets every cop in the district down. He, te- he tells them where he's hiding basically so that Vic won't get in there to lay a finger on them because Farmington's there to make sure he's taken alive.
1: Which leads us on to uh, really leads us on to you know the aftermath of the Ben Gilroy scandal. We have this civilian auditor, Leanne Kellis, is sent in by uh, the city council to monitor the barn. She is charmed by thick. She spars with Agavella Al- 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 and annoyed with Dutch over everything from his sloppy paperwork and to him wanting to get his parking tickets Yeah, this is uh, the first attempt to bring somebody in to monitor the barn and see what the hell's going on and how it's run. And again, you know, this is where you see that, that Vic can actually be a charmer. Yeah. Now, I don't think she completely buys it, but at the same time, she, uh, Agatheta feels threatened, certainly, because they do a fair bit of sparring back and forth, you know, each trying to say, look, I've done the best job I could do given the circumstances, and basically tries to throw Vic under the bus, to a degree, you, agree, you yeah. know? The strike team
0: has caused me nothing but problems. I I think I feel Lady Kellis, the actress, isn't particularly strong and the character isn't particularly strong. Oh the ramifications of her being there certainly are. Mm, and, yeah. and and that kicks off a lot of really interesting things. For Aceveda, I mean, she is she's there to look into Vic. She's she's initially quite charming because Vic, as we said, gets results. But for Aceveda, he is headed for city council. That's his you know, that is his goal here. And she's coming into his house and telling him how things are gonna be.
1: Which is not gonna go over well.
0: Yeah. But he has to make that work. And and we see this a lot actually, that diplomacy in the shield is it's quite a dark diplomacy. But a lot of the time we have Aceveda and Vic working together on stuff not that they want to but Won't they to, just, but because just they have to yeah they're making little deals between them
1: the enemy of my enemy is my friend you know, exactly guess the outsider yeah but you can tell that they, they don't want to work together but at the same time Vic has his interests Acerveda has his interests and sometimes you know the best way to further those are to work together and that and that scene mm-hmm. and this would be a, a theme that goes on throughout the shield when when an outsider is sent into the bar to shake things up. Yeah, I I, I do love Dutch though, the comedy value and Dutch, you know, <laughs> trying to get his parking tickets lost you know
0: I think doesn't he he hit on her in the in her first he episode? <laughs> he tried. And uh, you know. Dutch pick trying to pick you up is uh-huh.
1: eight times
0: out of ten not not good.
1: Um. But again, it was to that point. It was such a heavy season that it was nice to see something that made you laugh. Yeah. you know because you know the season was getting very heavy, very fast.
0: Is it possible Dutch is on the autistic spectrum?
1: I, yeah, I've seen fans sort of say that. Um, it's possible because the, the artistic spectrum is is wide ranging. So yeah, it could be. yeah,
0: he's because he certainly has a unique way of understanding the world. I, 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 he's definitely high functioning.
1: Um, he, he certainly is. Uh, although I have to say uh, any people that, that I know on the spectrum have always been really, really clean and organized people. He certainly doesn't... That's because that. he's
0: there in his suit and tie every day. Um, perfectly neat. Um, takes great um, care of his appearance. But isn't yeah. isn't you know doesn't brag about it isn't overly, except no. in defence, where he no. he's the guy who will, somebody will will put him down quite comically and then he'll shout back something, to the opposite and it's he he's, you, you can hear the sound in his voice that his words are meant to be terribly funny but there's nothing to laugh nothing. at it just
1: yeah
0: sounds That's desperate it. You know, every time
1: Vic insults him Vic would walk off. And then suddenly he would shout something, you know, that he thinks
0: yeah. is really clever, and Vic would just roll his eyes and walk on, you know. Because Vic is a Barnes hero, but you know what? I'd, I'd love to hang out with Dutch for the most part. Um, yeah, i prefer to hang out with Dutch, certainly. Um, he'd be very interesting to have a, a chat with, or a podcast that's with.
1: That's just because you're scared of Vic, Luke.
0: I don't think Dutch would really help me, and I think Dutch would probably provoke Vic if, oh, if Dutch was here on this podcast instead of you the podcast yeah. would ev- do even worse because Vic's out there somewhere like burying it in search engine key codes or something maybe we should move on
1: <laughs> yeah right Where we get to uh, yeah so Vic and Shane hear about the money train dirty profits of the Armenian mob secretly gathered before being returned to Armenia to be laundered the strike team plan to infiltrate the high-security operations and take uh, the $3 million for themselves.
0: $3 million, Big money. I think this is like their quarterly haul.
1: It is, it, but again, things don't go exactly according to plan. No.
0: <laughs> no. Um, so this is like, this is their the strike team's biggest operation they are planning for this, yeah, this is, most this of the season this is
1: retirement level yeah. um, we do this we retire
0: retire yeah. that
1: sort of thing
0: Lem is bouncing back and forward and whether he's in or not he's starting to get stressed out by it Yeah. Ronnie of course we've got Ronnie has his face scarred like mm-hmm. uh, a couple episodes before and then on the night the, the thing is due to go down the, the money train not an actual train a, a sort of location where they're doing the handover, yeah. it it changes like a, a day or two before the location, and Vic is caught on another assignment, and he arrives late to the um to the operation.
1: He does, and I think I think his yeah his instructions were to wait for him, if I'm not yeah, mistaken, no. but they couldn't do that.
0: Just just so we're clear here, this is um this is an operation that kind of should have been reported to the barn and and busted as a unit but the strike team are going in and they're they're going to bust it and they're going to keep the money for themselves it's it's a really big build-up um i think the payoff is as an action scene i think it's 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 decent decent enough it's
1: decent works works yeah with thick being late that means that she is in charge <laughs> Which, and I, I, you know, it's never a good thing. So it doesn't exactly go to plan. They do get the money, but it's not a very neat job, should we say?
0: Yeah, it's a bit all over the place. Um, you
1: know, lots of attention go
0: oh, to it. Yeah, um, people there who shouldn't be there. At least one killing. They have to show um, one of the survivors their their face. I, I can't remember exactly why, but a warning is given to sort of get out of town, preferably get out of the country. Yeah. I think I think they're sent over to Mexico, and that I think I think when they get the money, the scenes are I'm sure you'll agree, incredibly iconic. They have this if if you think of the scenes of Breaking Bad, where Walt has this warehouse full of bricks of cash. It's exactly the same, but uh, there's more cash. It's a big, wide-open area, and the strike team are sort of all standing around it, laughing. They're just dizzy with what they've pulled off. What they've done. It's it's incredibly iconic. (laughs) So season three, then the strike team have broken bad stealing three million from the money train the Armenians dispatch torture Margos Desarian to retrieve it but Vic loses a share of the team's money to the Bizlats gang. Yet more is stolen by Mara, Shane's new girlfriend, for her gold digging mother. Meanwhile Dutch leads the investigation and discovers a number of the bills were marked by the treasury. So shit's hit the fan
1: It has you know here they have they've got their biggest score ever and what they realize is technically they can't risk spending it yeah because everything is sort of people are the strike team are pissed they're they took the risk for nothing and then of course vic does need to take money doesn't doesn't vic is it vic takes money out of that because he needs
0: yeah, for a a sting, um, it's like uh, he can't get the fake mo- or the he can't get the money from Aceveda for this right. um, guns deal, so he takes it from the the strike team's loot, and then yeah. loses both the money and the guns.
1: Yeah, so they're they're not well shot with them. Again, uh, I thought this was quite uh you know Vic is usually very calculating. I didn't think he'd actually risk taking the money. But he did, and uh, this is where is I think this is where Sheen starts to question them.
0: Yeah, because um,
1: Shane you know, Sheen is usually the loyal follower, but at this point, he's starting to question them, and it doesn't help that Thick really doesn't like the girlfriend, which they, you know causes tensions even more.
0: Mara is one of the, the sort of the many problems at the strike team has to confront in this season. Uh, Mara is... I wonder if she's a bit one-dimensional because she is a really... a real pain in the butt constantly. Her and Vic don't like each other from, from the get-go. Shane is committed to her. Um, she finds a. She finds Shane's key to the storage box, uh, takes the money for her mother's... Um, possibly cancer treatment... Um, or a a, a house, um, and and so there's paranoia amongst the strike team because each of them think somebody else took it, and nobody is stepping forward. And usually, yeah. usually I think somebody would have done so. That yeah, that isn't happening. And I think that I don't have the name of the actress who plays Mara, but I think she does an incredible, incredible job. Certainly matches oh, yeah. what Walton Goggins brings.
1: Definitely, and you know you've got poor uh, them, Demi and
0: uh, Ronnie Gardaki.
1: Yeah, they they they're kind of in the middle of this, you know, and 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 you know they they're getting extremely worried, you know, because the shit's falls apart, and uh, these two, and you know the two leads can't get it, seem to get on the same
0: page. Yeah, there's uh, frictions, and Dutch is in the middle of it all too. and this brings back um, the the Vic Dutch sparring. That had quelled for a while when Vic or when Dutch solved a big serial killer murder. He was like the hero of the barn for a while and Vic let him know that there was he had some respect for him now. But I think we get the line, Hey Dutch boy, you're on my shit list again. Uh um, yeah.
1: sounds about right. Yeah, you know, Dutch is obviously investigating this money and obviously that's not good for the strike team. But at the same type, Vic, you
0: know, can't exactly go to him, like, don't investigate this, you know? Yeah. Uh, all uh, the while, Vic's, so. he, uh, spinning plates as usual, he's throwing out red herrings to Dutch, get him off the scent. Um, but Dutch, and his mind, being what it is, he, uh, he navigates Not past fair. him. Yeah. And he's storing up all these little red herrings that Vic is, has thrown him and wondering, w- were these intentional?
1: I did sort of think to myself watching this season that Goodbye Dutch you're dead man.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because every 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 time Vic throws them off the, the trail, as you said, Dutch is Dutch just warded off to get back on the trail. Yeah. And you're like, Is this is this what Vic has to go kill another cop, you know
0: because yeah.
1: things are a lot more tense than they were in the first season even, so you know, I could certainly have seen that happen.
0: Dutch could have been going uh, Terry's ways Um, and he has an awful lot of pressure in this season as do the strike team. So at the urging of the civilian auditor Acevedo adds a minority team member Tavon Garris to the strike team. Tavon has been working special crimes and initially gels with the strike team especially Vic and Lem but Shane's jealousy and racism comes into play and the strike team also have to cope. With sharing their clubhouse with Wiltshire's decoy squad a group of uh, a, a, an undercover strike team who um, I, th- I think the the decoy squad bring quite a bit of color and comedy to it. and after initial sort of friction between the two teams they get on quite well and i think there's a lot of mutual respect between them yeah
1: yeah the problem but again the problem is the strike team you know, I've always used that that's like their back cave. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so and they've got stuff to hide. So, you know, it was it's not gonna work out when you have both of them there. You know, it just doesn't
0: add up. Both is of them there the and Tavon. Up? But but it's certainly there's a, a security no, breach in this this door is now open and closed a lot more often. Get more people in the room. And this is you know th- th- these are the episodes where the strike team has more to hide than they've ever had to hide, um, exactly because people are after this money, train money and the leads, and so there's a whole um, there's definitely a whole surveillance theme running throughout that, and, and well, I don't know what the opposite of surveillance is. Privacy, trying to trying to you know, navigate under those cameras and recording things, yeah
1: does Vic have to take more money to help one of his kids out or was there
0: yeah yeah we'll come on to that later yeah one of his uh, uh, a second child diagnosed with autism what do you make of uh, Tavon and his his um, chemistry I
1: again I, I think he, he, he you know he feels like one of the boys he does now obviously he doesn't know all the crap that they've been doing but if everything was equal and Vic's team was just on the up A straight strike force, you know, with no agendas, he'd fit in
0: well. I think Vic would like him. Yeah. Shane's threatened by anybody. Yeah, yeah. Anybody that gets closer to Vic than than he is, because, you know, let's face it, the two of them were meant to be together as far as Shane's concerned. Um, I mean, Tavon does some shit of his own. Um, I, I, I can only remember one specific incident and they're in the interrogation room him and Lem and uh, the suspect calls Lem out as a, as a cracker and starts insulting him because of his race and Tavon tears the suspect off the chair and beats the crap out of him in the corner and Lem has to to pull him off exactly, yeah, and, and say like, off, it's yeah. okay um, Lem is very much the if the strike team had a heart Lem is, uh, oh, is that Oh
1: absolutely like, I mean Lem um, yeah them in some ways is the conscience of the strike team you know obviously you sometimes wonder what he's doing there because he's almost too nice to be in that team saying that you know I think he's a guy that you know joined the strike team and then when everything started happening he just went further and further down the rabbit hole with them to the point now he can't get out and I think he's the one with the ulcers isn't he yeah. As
0: a result that he always says it's because of the stress and the strength, you know. Yeah. So the whole feud between Tavon and Shane ends pretty badly, where Tavon at Vic's urging goes to Shane's house to try and make things right, and Shane can't leave it without getting the last word in. At which point Mara gets involved, hits him with a tire iron. Tavon, uh, who's about to attack a pregnant Mara, backs off, he's bleeding everywhere and on the way home he's in a car crash and in intensive care and that's pretty deadly yeah it, it's I
1: heard the sounds go off in the
0: background there
1: yeah, right yeah or, oh, that, uh, all the time that was quite uh, well timed actually
0: yeah I've got I've got them on the payroll specifically for this podcast because Patreon <laughs> <make, laughs> patreon.com Ali Luke makes me so rich mm-hmm. um, the, so the, now
1: we've got now we've got a guy you know, who's hanging on for dear life in the hospital and Shane is going absolutely nuts. What's he go- if he wakes up, what's he gonna say or what's he gonna do or you know. So yeah, things just go from bad to worse it's, this season for the strike team.
0: It's even more even more drama and, and this is definitely what you were talking about about Shane being the most dangerous.
1: When you corner Shane's like a, a dangerous animal, a hurt animal, when you corner him, that's that's when he's most dangerous. And this is,
0: you know, I think this is where it's going, you know. Yeah. And he's, he's has he learned from Vic? And I'm thinking no, because yeah. while they are feuding in, in Shane's flat, Mara is out the back somewhere with a child in her belly. So mm-hmm. the right thing for Shane to do if he really wanted to beat the shit out of Tavon is to do it somewhere else, um, but he cannot help himself. Um, he's
1: just a, it's
0: just a hot hand. Yeah, protect his child. Doesn't matter because she's in another room. It's just, he uh, it goes to the throat every time.
1: And ultimately, this is in some ways going to be another mess that Vic's going
0: to have to figure out. Yeah, um, pretty much that will happen. So this is a, this is a pretty heavy point. While pursuing two bizlat drug dealers, Aceveda is taken hostage and raped. He keeps the assault a secret, but pursues a with a vengeance, furthering Vic and Lem's paranoia around the loose Armenian money.
1: In some ways, this is the darkest part of the the season. Asaphita is raped and is made to do some, uh, some really terrible sort of things, and he can't handle it. I think I, I don't know how many episodes it goes on to, but then we find out that he was that the people that raped him he was made he was made to give them blue jobs as well.
0: There's yes, photos. He tells
1: somebody this, doesn't
0: he? Yeah, I think I'm he sure. he, do, he know talks know he to he talks to his um, brother about this possibly and but it's certainly about six episodes before he yeah. tells his wife so, you see who initially is quite um, initially quite unsupportive
1: yeah
0: who who doesn't really understand uh maybe it's shock but we see in Acevedo quite initially before he's on the trail of the people who did this to him that his attitude swings when a rape case comes into the station He, he totally sort of gets it he's on board um with you know what the victim is going through, and given the orders on cases of sexual assaults, he gives priority. He cuts right through the bullshit um, of the officers. Um, he's very, very focused on this stuff. Um, and he, privately is, you know, he's he's a mess.
1: Yeah, and it it was interesting that you know, The Shield does a storyline, where is the guy that gets the abuse? You don't see that very often. Yeah. You know, and how he just, you know, explodes, you know, he hires prostitutes just to hurt them. And, you know, he's really in this really dark place. But then you could see, you see him, as you say, cutting through the red tape on those types of cases, to try and get them resolved for people. But he
0: doesn't want anyone else to go through that. Yeah. You know? I think the prostitutes uh, is more a, a sort of a season four thing after his wife pretty much says to him, I don't care what you have to do to get through this. Just do it. Yeah. He he does sort of go through a hunt of these two gang members uh, yeah. and is intent on making them suffer as, as much as possible. And even I think Vic is on the trail of one of them. And he he throws Vicarette Herring so that he will he, he will get there first. And it's yeah, it's, he's full dirty Harry. He, he is. Yeah, you're you're right in that we don't see an awful lot of this um rape of men, um, in in terms of how uh these dramas tackle these issues. Um, and there there are a lot of problems that are exclusive or not exclusive but swing more towards the burdens being put on men. Male suicide is a big one. Um, males are less likely to talk about rape than women by, a, by a, a huge factor. Because of the stats with regards how many women are raped, I've heard things like one in four, and that's just terrifying. And men, men are much less... A, you know, victims of that, but it's much harder to talk about that because it's not, it's, you know, antithesis to the male narrative what a man is supposed to be. A man isn't supposed to get in his knees and suck another guy's cock as a threat, you know, as a resp- result of a threat. A man is, I don't know, supposed to bite off that cock or overpower his attacker or, um, you know, and, and rise up and do the, the manly thing.
1: Um, um, yeah I mean you know men you know it's, it's the same thing about you know you know stats about men that go to the doctors or get checked for cancer or stuff like that men are more likely to think it's nothing and you know not go to the doctors it, it's kind of like that um, but this was the first show that I seen actually to deal with that from a man's point of view I'm sure there have been others you know I'm not saying that's the only one day I've done that, but the thing about the field is it, it doesn't it doesn't shy away from uncomfortable situations. Yeah. So it doesn't, um, and it does make you think about something like rape and rape culture, and you know, and the is certainly you know having ha- having now a captain that under has been through that, yeah, and understands the importance of getting closure and justice. Is not revenge. At
0: at this point in his story, is preparing to leave the captaincy. Actually, Claudette takes on a supervisory role in preparation of captaining the barn um, because he's going to move on to city council. After arresting a district attorney who is addicted to oxycodone, Claudette finds wrongful convictions in his old cases. Reopening the cases is unpopular at the barn and the DA's office denies her the promotion to take over from Acevedo as captain. So, if I remember right, this is sort of like a last two episodes of season three. Um,
1: yeah, this is a this is a case of somebody doing their job too well and not being political enough. Yeah, you know, which is it's a shame because the depth, you know, in some ways, the best of the best that the barn has. She's honest. She doesn't take any shit.
0: But you know, it's that it's that case of you know, policing is political. Mm. Parallels, here uh, with, parallels here with parallels here with uh, with Rampart or any yeah. any political uh, situation where there's there's going to be an inquiry and the results of that inquiry, say the powers, are to hush things up, or to quieten down the threat yeah. and the problems posed, and initially we do get. Acevedo tells her no you're not you're not doing this she goes against disorders and starts digging up old cases where I think there, there's before the season's out she's got at least two cases where there's um enough space for those to be brought back to trial where it's looking like somebody was framed in one in one case the, the sole witness was like Two blocks away, and the arresting officer was Vic Mackey.
1: Of course. Of course. Who else? Yeah. Who else? Um, Which again, now you've got Claudette questioning, you know, questioning Vic on what he's done in the past. So basically, the the wagons are all circling Vic. Yeah. And Vic doesn't have a lot of room to manoeuvre because Claudette. She she didn't have that many dealings with Vic over the first two seasons. But I did think I did think there was a respect for him. Yeah. And what his team had to do, but now
0: I, I felt that, that deep down Claudette knew there was something not kosher about Vic and the way he does things, but she kinda of sums it up in saying, Look, at the end of the day, all people want from their police is that they can you know, they can go home after their job and have a nice yeah, relaxing yeah, evening and know that you know they're not going to um, not going to be invaded by some hick or spick or um, you know coming in and, and raping their wife or beating the, beating the crap out of them
1: exactly you know and, and I,
0: um, I think that's her sums up her rationale for letting yeah,
1: you
0: know, Vic's and, and moral sure she she,
1: she, she, I mean she wouldn't have imagined the stuff that Vic and team get up to
0: but now yeah. she's got she's got hints she, got she, got she knows doubts in and, her head about yeah, certain and,
1: things and
0: and these are the sort of level of doubts that Claudette, I think, won't let go, and as we'll yeah. see for the rest of the, the seasons, those those just grow and grow. Um, her her introduction to the captaincy, I think she's offered the job on Lainey Kellis' advice, and initially she says no, but then she realises that um, that makes her, the perfect person to take the job. She doesn't. She she tells the. the chief commissioner she doesn't want to take the job mm. but she'll do it and now uh, her refusal to play politics is is working against her
1: yeah um, which again is a shame because she's probably the perfect per- person for the job in a lot of ways yeah in terms of doing the job everything's political in every institution and yeah that will go you, you know everyone's got an agenda
0: and you have to play it. I think this is where we see the, we see if not a fracture then a separation in uh, the working relationship of Dutch and Claudette. Yeah. Dutch isn't particularly supportive of her, her digging stuff up and he, he distances himself a little from it. There's a lot of shots of their desks being shown quite far apart um, yeah. to, to demonstrate that. Dutch has his head elsewhere, Two. <laughs> he really does. Um, so uh, Dutch's story through season three um, has been trying to track down a cuddler rapist who rapes wo- elderly woman and then cuddles with them for a while. And there have been a few killings as a as Dutch has made public statements about the man being impotent and such. So following Dutch's capture of the cuddler rapist, the two men share an intense psychological discussion on the nature of murder. Frustrated at failing to get into the man's head, Dutch returns home. That night he lures in a caterwatering feline and strangles the animal. That's fucking dark it's, as well.
1: Yeah, this shock this really, yeah, shocked.
0: really shocked me too. Um You
1: know uh, and it's all to do with how Dutch approaches cases. As he said many times he tries to get into their heads. Yeah. So I assume by killing the the cat or it he's trying to see what it feels like to kill.
0: Yeah, the, the discussion Which, between the, the the with the rapist is the rapist is constantly asking Dutch why he does what he does and then Dutch will offer an answer and the rapist will either agree or disagree or but the rapist is very much in control of that discussion. And Dutch is constantly craving answers. And it's. um, I I think we're expected to understand that the strangling of this cat, the stray cat that keeps him awake at night, is him. You're trying to get those answers. And of course, feeling.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, this is where, you know, I, I thought to myself, yeah, this is the end of Dutch. (laughs) Because, you know, uh, once you go down that path, you know, you know, like it's, you know, you watch all the, like, sort of uh, police procedurals like uh, criminal minds and stuff. And, you know, one of the the key triggers is, you know, did the killer mutilate pets as a child or animals, you know. And then (laughs) that was in my mind when Dutch done that, and I thought, oh dear, you've gone too far down the rabbit hole.
0: It's quite a. It's quite a. Um, yeah, it's quite a shocking scene. Um, yeah, I
1: mean, season three just keeps doing things that hit you hard. You know, more so probably than I was expecting. You know,
0: um, in the in the episodes following, there's a couple episodes following, um, and we see somebody brings a box of kittens into the barn, um, and Dutch is he's trying to let on everything's all right with them and um and he Claudette you know who's going through her own trials with the politics thing is um you know reaching out to him and so for their their dynamic their mutually nurturing chemistry and uh, she sort of twigs a few Dutch's answers aren't quite you know on you know aren't quite Dutch yeah um but, you know, there's never any um, real reveal of what he has done. Do you buy it? Do you buy it as something that somebody who wants to understand why murderers do what they do um, might do? I don't know if I, I, don't do? know if I
1: qualified to, to answer that. We um, see, what where does it end? You know, you start off with a cat... And then somebody will point out, but there's a difference between killing an animal and killing a person. So what, do you kill a person? You know, do you make that escalation? Yeah. So I, I, no, I, well, you know.
0: It, yeah, is there I, actually I, anything to be learned from doing that? Well, I, I, no, I wouldn't,
1: I, I wouldn't think so. Um, I don't know, maybe a psychologist or someone could give you a better take on that, but you know,
0: because what you what you do when you do that when you cross that line is you reposition the student so now Dutch is a cat killer Um, and that's you know that's he's somebody different yeah Um, yeah
1: he's someone different but at the same time so he can't answer to the man he was he's a guy that lives in his own head yeah like 24 7 with cases He's always trying to think of the
0: logical thing to do. Oh well, here's another way.
1: It probably at the time it probably made sense
0: to him. Here's another way of framing that, that question. Um Is this something like what Vic or Shane went through the first time they beat the crap out of somebody, or um you know, decided to start start dealing drugs? Um did were they sort of intrigued by, you know, how how does, it, how does it happen that people do this shit?
1: I, I, I mean, I don't know, but I, I, I don't think so. I think for me, certainly Vic, Thick is all about a means to an end. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that the first time he, he, he gave someone a severe beating, that he felt good about it. But at the same time, Vic always has a reason for why he does things. Yeah. You know, and um, but we'll let, I think in yeah. Dick's mind, you know, his team is taking all the risk out there. They're making the streets safer and they get paid peanuts mm. for risking their lives. Yeah. So, you know.
0: It's the old Walter White refrain, isn't it? I did it for my family. Mm, um, you know, and I'm sure a lot of drug dealers. Um, I'm not counting pot here because that's, that's, you know, that's a joy, not a drug. Um, but an awful lot of them sort of use that you know I did it for my family why, pe- why people do bad things you know find justification from good things yeah I think that
1: would be smart enough to know the only way to survive for the SWAT team to survive out on the streets is to be feared
0: yeah that's the you know, currency so,
1: Um. so I think you know the beatings and what have you, you know, they create a reputation for him, and, you know, Vic becomes more than just a man, he becomes this this thing that's feared, and that's how his team has survived and thrived in, in that environment, whereas Dutch is trying to, you know, trying to figure out, right, I have to get into a killer's head, so what better way than to see what it's like to kill? The problem is, the, the problem is, that that's going too far. Because that will turn Dutch into someone that he doesn't want to be. Doesn't want
0: to be. Uh, Dutch doesn't have that whole social system. He lives alone. He's he's. Uh, if anybody he's got to look after, it's it's Claudette, and he he doesn't really have those connections, so. You know getting to what you just described of getting inside a killer's head so he can recognize other killers so he can you know break them down better that's all he has fueling him and in the case, like like in the case of jimmy mcnulty you know the the job won't fill that hole in you so uh lem is growing increasingly stressed he has to turn down vic's request to support his new autistic child ...from the Armenian money train money. He lies to Tavon... ...to protect Shane. Tavon's just woken up from life support... ...and he is told he's lied and told Tavon... ...that he had attacked a pregnant Mara. He fails to stop Vic waterboarding... Uh, ...an Armenian dealer... ...and a victim of that same mob... ...a young girl dies in Lem's arms. He decides to strike team are safer... If he burns the three million dollars, following a desperate scene with a team fight for leftover paper, the strike team break up. Um, so we mentioned earlier, Lamb was like spitting up blood from ulcers, and he's he's just cracking.
1: Yeah, he just couldn't take it anymore, and he realised that if the money's gone, so is the problem. Unfortunately, the uh, the rest of the strike team don't really see it that way. No.
0: Shane pose uh, a gun on him.
1: Uh, yeah. Which again, Shane, yeah, that would be his sort of a response. Personally I think I think Lem done them a favour. Because I knew they were waiting for that money to you know, they were gonna keep that money until the time when this had all been died down and forgotten about, but you know. Yeah
0: let it's, it's an open thing, isn't it? It's it could bite them in the ass at any at any time. Point. We've already had um Shane, like almost immediately as they get the money he buys Mara a, a Corvette or some flashy car he's refurbishing their apartment and all it takes is Shane to flash the cash once too much or Vic if he does get this second put his second autistic child in a special school or or get a um, support teacher in you know any one of those things could could bring down a hammer on the strike team
1: then uh, them burning the money was a, a great scene because Len, in a lot of ways, was always in the background. He was always sort of the good soldier, you know, he was always there, but so now this is him stepping forward, making a decision, that's enough of that shit, burns the money, and okay, uh, you know, the strike team splits up, but it, at the end of the day I always got the feeling he could live with that, you know?
0: Yeah, and there's, there's, I mean, it's it's quite a... <laughs> Uh, it's quite a funny, unintentionally funny scene to have them like pulling paper out of Lem's fire and, you know, yeah. the paper's just flying everywhere and uh, and uh, eventually it's, I mean, Vic is all in there doing his usual thing, trying to play peacemaker between them and all it takes is one stray remark and they're back at each other's throats. Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's, if I remember rightly, there's a bit of time passes and they call Lem for a meeting and he he shows up and Vic explains look you know we need to get together and you know we all care for each other and, and Vic's like oh thank god you know I thought something bad was going to happen you know that inferring they were going to kill him but um, so so they're all you know they're all leaving content and Lem says you know just as long as you, you realised and Shane is the first to seize on him and get to get an explanation that Lem still thinks burning the money was the right thing to That's do. And then Shane's at Lem's throat and then Vic is at Shane's throat mm. and and it leads to we've got a standoff I think between I think the two Vic's of them. Smart
1: enough to realise that although it's probably not a decision he would have made. It actually solves a number of problems. Yeah. Whereas Shane Shane can't think past money. Yeah. And I get it, three million's a lot of money and you know
0: and although it's, it's kind of LEM what, has what a... Good
1: is, what good is three million if it's just sitting there and you might never be able to spend it without
0: yeah. risking? Although it's kind of LEM that sort of makes a throwaway remark that sparks this conflict up, it's it's Shane who must have the last word and he accelerates this to such a level that him and Vic are like broken. Their relationship is, really broken. Yeah. is over. Shane says something about... Vic's family and he's got nothing and, and then Vic just, you know, tells him that he's you know, he's looked after him all this time, he's cleared up all his messes after him. Um and he's You're on your own. Yeah. Enough's enough. And it's yeah. It's a it's a pretty dark night.
1: Well a fantastic way to end the season man. Yeah. Um You knew you knew going into season four that the, the dynamic is going to be totally different. But that that's for another day, I guess. But yeah, no, season three is probably, to me, one of the hardest hit seasons of The Shield. Right, right. Um, Now, obviously, with the caveat, I haven't seen the last season yet.
0: Oh, uh, for some juice. Some jingle juice. Was,
1: you know, some really great acting in season three. Some very hard subject matter that really makes you think. And then just a great finale, as I said, you know, Lem getting to be, almost take control of his own life and make a decision that he thinks is for the best, even if the rest of the team thinks he's wrong. It was great to see him step up. Yeah. Because there wasn't a lot of him doing that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I think season. Lem's a, an absolutely wonderful character and one who come more into focus in the next few seasons. So if you've not seen those yet, um, the pair of us will be back in a podcast covering the last four seasons in June. So um, you'll go out and find, I think Amazon currently have all of it for free on Prime. Yeah. Go and check it out because the next four seasons are just incredible. As as good as it's been so far, it just ramps. Ian, have you anything you wanna you want to plug or talk about before we go?
1: I uh, I uh, run the, uh, the Belfast chapter of Starfleet International, the USS Caroline. If you're interested in Star Trek and would like to check us out, just go to usscaroline.com and you'll find all the information on our fan club there. Um, I will, in the next couple of months, hopefully be starting my own podcast called Laying Down the Lawler. And I'm sure Andy could give me a plug once I get up and running.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to, to guessing on that at some point.
1: Absolutely. Uh, but this this has been great, man. I I'd love talking about the shield yeah. because as I say, you know, I, I don't I don't know too many people that actually have watched the shield. It was a recommendation from a friend at work that knew I liked breaking Bad. and said, Look, if you like something like Breaking Bad, give the shield a go.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's been too sadly buried it really really was a, a still is a, quite a watch quite a watch
1: you know yeah. and it's something you could go back and watch multiple times I think because you know just doing up our notes to review these seasons there's been so many things I went oh my god yes remember that things that I didn't remember because they packed so much into yeah
0: me. yeah we had a we had a job like even rewriting our our notes up to yeah. like a couple of hours ago um, just I to think, pack it you know, in
1: you we can get bogged down in the the season structures and story arcs, but you know if you take anything from this is give the shield a go yeah. i really think by, by the end of the first episode you'll be hooked
0: yeah definitely okay so um my very first collection of poems came out it's called chaos magic it spans 10 years worth of work with uh never published before pieces and um, pop cult favourites yes I do have a fan base so it's Chaos Magic it's on Amazon and uh, it'll cost you a bag of sweeties to buy you can also for a bag of sweeties a month you can subscribe to patreon.com forward slash Andy Luke where this podcast is premiered early each month in April I'm writing a new poem a day for National Poetry Month there's also comics coming um, forgotten favourites new stuff, new prose novel excerpts and short stories um, the next couple of months on there are going to be really exciting patreon.com forward slash Andy Luke
1: and oh. if, I, if I could just jump in about uh, chaos magic Andy as you know we've talked about this before I am not a big fan of poetry um, but I got Andy's book and um, I I read it cover to cover. It's easy to read and it's excellent. I really recommend it. Because I, as I said, I didn't like poetry. But, you know, reading this has made me think, yeah, I I should give more poetry a try. Really excellent.
0: Thank you, Ian. That's one of those ideal reviews.
1: Can I I get my tenner now? Later, later, later. Later, later.
0: Um, So, as I said, Ian and I will be covering the final three, four seasons of The Shield in, in June. Um, and next time I'll be joined by Phil Boyce and we'll be celebrating the 35th anniversary of children's humour comic Oink an anarchic publication that rocked the very foundations of British politics for a generation so come back for that yo
1: hold on you're seeing other
0: people I've got I'm polypodcasters. oh I keep it fresh.
1: Okay.
0: There's always laying down the law there.
1: There is, there is. You have me exclusive. I can have anti-exclusive. Yeah. Brilliant.
0: Have you got that tenor now? Yeah. Here. <laughs>